Thank you for tuning in to Avant Life's weekly podcast. We hope this message inspires you, stirs your faith, and leaves you blessed. Well, hello, Avant North Shore. It is so good to be here. This is my second Avant service of the day, and I'm just loving it. Amy and I are just really feel honored to be here, be a part of what Avant's doing. We just love this church and just really believe in your guys' mission and where you're going. We're so excited about everything happening here. This past month, a former Facebook manager named Frances Hagen sat down in front of a Senate committee in America and where she gave a testimony of the inner workings of Facebook. She really becomes a whistleblower and talks about how Facebook, what a Netflix documentary told us over a year and a half ago, but how Facebook time and time again will choose profits over the well-being and safety of its users. She gives a wide array of examples of this, but one of the examples that was most concerning and most striking to me is how she says Facebook intentionally, her words, stokes division. In other words, Facebook and all of its platforms, like Instagram, they actually own quite a bit, but all of the platforms they have, they're actually it's quite intelligent of creating a profile of who you are based on your views, your likes, your comments. It gets pretty intelligent of knowing who you are, and based on that, we'll continue to feed you articles and posts and people you should follow based on your biases. And sometimes these articles are extremely biased, sometimes they're unfactual, and in fact, Facebook has been shown to, to deliver the, the, the vis of articles because they'll know, know they get more clicks, therefore increase their market shares, and so on, and so on, and so on. Examples are endless of this, which has created for us a rhetoric and a, a division in our society, which we haven't seen for a while. See, our society today is different than the society that was before the pandemic. Our society has changed so much in these last, what, almost, almost two years, and it's changed in so many different ways, but one way that our society has changed is that it feels more division today than it did a couple years ago. There's more polarization and alienation, and more, more, our rhetoric is even more heated than it was before. It's the culture we live in, the society, is more divided than it has been before. And listen, we can't just put this all in the tech companies. There's many things that are causing division today. Or in these last couple of years, we've seen around race and politics and the big one, COVID itself. COVID has been the great divide where so many people have different opinions on it and it seems overnight we all become molecular biologists and have opinions and ideas around it. But as a pastor, can I tell you, uh, I've sat down with more people in this most recent season that are experienced relational fractures with spouses and family members and feel division like they've never have before. We feel this in so many different ways. See, our world is in a place right now where it hasn't felt like for a while, and COVID hasn't helped because we've all been stuck inside for the last couple of years. We haven't sat down with people that we differ with. We haven't had connection. We've just received information from online platforms in which we are learning about the algorithms feed us in a certain perspective that we're creating our own echo chambers. This is the society we live in today. I hope you feel encouraged to come to church. But honestly, this is the reality in which we live in. 
This is the the society that feels divided more so than it has before. Even here in Canada, sweet, polite, please and thank you, Canada. The rhetoric just seems to be a little bit more divisive. And but we're in a series right now. That's called Jesus is King. And the whole idea of this series is how Jesus is King is how He inaugurated the kingdom of God, which is different from the kingdom of the world. The values of the kingdom of God are completely different. It's upside down with the kingdom of the world. And Jesus gives us a solution here. The way of Jesus sets for us a mandate, sets for us an example and a methodology that is helpful for us to understand. How do we, how do we find our way through this? How do we find connection in this division? How do we find in this judgmental, heated, alienated world, how do we find a place of commonality and compassion? See, the way of Jesus, oh, he helps us here. Because Jesus lived in the first century in Palestine, and that was a very divisive place. There was so much division during his time. Division around religion, division around politics, the vision around gender. This is the time in which Jesus lived, and in that time, he helps gives us a, a pathway, a way to, for us to find commonality and compassion in the midst of our differences. So we're going to look at a, a text that he can help us with and uh, Mark's account of Jesus' life. Mark was the second biographer of Jesus. It's the second book in your New Testament. In it, at the very be- near the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, Mark takes a moment to explain this. In Mark 2, verses 13, Mark details this way that Jesus gives us. So what we're going to do is we're going to read the text, and then we're going to have a look at two, two thoughts for us to put our hooks on. But let's see what Mark says in chapter 2, verses 13. He gives us a, a pattern for how we can find connection and division. This is what Mark says, verses 13. Once again, in other words, this was customary of Jesus. He did this frequently. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake, and then a large crowd would gather around him, came to him, walked along, and and to hear him teach, and which he did. And then verses 14, as he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth, in which Jesus says, follow me. Jesus told him, and without hesitation, Levi got up and followed him. Later on, while Jesus was having dinner with Levi's, at Levi's house with many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law saw this, what they saw was happening, who were called the Pharisees, saw him eating with these sinners and tax collectors. They asked his disciples a simple question, why does Jesus eat with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus responds in the way that only Jesus can. He says, on hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. The story of Jesus is going to help us see the way of Jesus and the divisive culture and society that we're in today. And there's two thoughts I want us to look at. Hospitality and the heart of God. First, Hospitality, And before we even get to that word, I think we, we need to look a little bit at the context of this story because a lot of it's missed on us and how significant the hospitality Jesus shows. So this story is about Jesus going out and teaching like he usually does. There's a large crowd gathered around him to hear him speak. And then he goes up to this character named Levi. Most scholars believe Levi is actually Matthew, 
the individual that wrote the first biography of Jesus' life and that we have in the New Testament. And so Levi probably knew who Jesus was. Levi was probably on the peripheral, sort of like on the sidelines, just observing what Jesus was doing. Probably saw his miracles, probably heard of his teaching. And so when Jesus comes up and asks, tells him the simple request about following him, there was no hesitation. Levi said, yes, let's go. But Levi was a tax collector. Yeah, see, it means nothing to us today in the 21st century. Most of us don't even know a tax collector. If we do, we don't have the same feelings they did in the first century when I would say that word. See, when I would say the word tax collector at this time, there would be this immediately disgust that you would feel. See, at this time, Palestine was under Roman occupation. They weren't a free and democratic society. No, they didn't make their decisions. Rome made the decisions for them. And how Rome kept its uh, different oppressed states in line is it put this heavy taxation on them. So so much of the Jews that were living in Palestine would live day to day just to make enough to pay the taxes to Rome. If they had any little bit of money left over, it would go to some essentials like food and housing. But they lived day to day just to pay the taxes to Rome because they just didn't have enough to get by. But Rome was smart. It didn't choose its own citizens to enforce this tax. But no, it went to those that it oppressed. It went to the state where it was, uh, had it grips on, and it chose one of its peers. Introduced Levi. So Levi became the embodiment of the oppression that the Jews would experience every single day. See, there wasn't a day that went by that the the Jews didn't realize about the Roman taxation that it had on it, the oppression that they were feeling because they just were working just to pay the tax man. And then every time they had to pay their taxes, which probably was on a weekly basis, who would they come up to? Their fellow peer, their fellow citizen, their fellow Jew, Levi. Levi would collect the taxes, and he wouldn't just collect what was required. He would take a little bit extra because that's how he got paid. And he would take probably more than he needed. And no one objected to this because who was around them? The Roman soldiers and the Roman government. And so Levi was probably quite wealthy. So here we have a group of people that barely can make ends meet. And here's Levi living in a wealth because he's prospering over the Romans and their taxation on his people. There could not be a person more despised than Levi. Just think about it, and just in your head, I know we're at church, but just take a moment, like think of that person you despise. I know we all, it's that church, and you don't, of course you don't have anybody, but just think of that person. You got them? That would be close to Levi. That would be like who Levi is. And this is the person who Jesus calls to be his disciple, and then this is the person in verse 15, Jesus has a meal with. I'll read it again for you. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, So Levi just has this new experience, this new rabbi. He's on this new journey. He's so excited. So what does he do? He invites all of his other tax collector friends to come join him. There could not be a group of more hated people in Palestine at this point than these groups of, this group of people. He invites all of his friends. He's so excited. He's like, you got to meet this Jesus. So he has this party. And he goes on. And Mark, who's actually usually quite short with words, his gospel is the shortest of all of them, actually goes into great detail to tell us who's there. He goes on, he says, while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and, quote, sinners were there. 
Now, scholars debate what this word means, but sinners probably, the best definition, sinners were those people that you wouldn't find at the synagogue. They weren't church folk. These were people that weren't following the religious customs of the day, so because of that, they were seen as outcasts. They had no place in the system of religion in the first century. Mark goes in detail to tell you who's there. Why? Because in the first century, who you ate with was of much significance. See, today, who you eat with doesn't really matter as much, and actually politicians like to go to places like homeless shelters and get the photo op and show that they're related to the people, although they probably have a lot more money than most. Anyways, but like they, it's, kind of, it's sort of like a PR thing now. But in the first century, everything was based on distinctions and class systems, and how you enforce these systems was based on who you ate with. So much of your thinking would be preoccupied of like, who's going to be at your table? Whose table are you going to be at? You actually see some of this conversation when the disciples are arguing where they sit because it mattered at that time. It mattered which table you were at. It mattered who you sat with. It would be quite an honor to have someone like a rabbi like Jesus come to your table. And there were some people that would never sit at your table. They would never have any invitation. See, this was the society, the culture in which she had. This food and eating a meal was significant. And how they enforce the significant was based on who was there. And so now we understand verse 16, the Pharisees' response. The Pharisees are livid. That's why they ask what we think is a simple question when we read our New Testaments. But the Pharisees says, why is Jesus eating with tax collectors and sinners? Does he not know who he's with? In other words, Jesus, you're a rabbi. You should know about these distinctions. See, Pharisees, the word Pharisee means to be separate. They enforce their piety, not what they did, but what they didn't do. And the one, the main ways that they enforce their, their religious fervor is their distinctions and keeping those distinctions. Oh, but Jesus flips this whole thing upside down. And Jesus chose what was an intimate setting, having a meal. Because a meal was not like a fast food, quick in and out like it is today. But it would be a two-hour event. Most likely, you would recline and lay on pillows bunch of men around lying on pillows eating some grapes. It's pretty accurate close to what was happening. This was an intimate setting in which Jesus chose Levi and all of Levi's peers and other sinners and he gathers together and he sits down with them and he has a meal. Now that's, I gave you a lot of context there but it's significant to help us understand the significance of what Jesus' actions are in this scene. See, Michael Green, an Oxford scholar, spent, uh, tried to determine, tried to understand how these group of uneducated outcasts became such a movement that took over the Roman world. How did, how did the church keep growing in the early church and its first origins and, and the first and second century? So much so he wrote a book called Evangelism in the Early Church. It's about 400 pages long. And in it, he tries to understand why people would line up, why people continue to give their life to Jesus in a time when giving, putting your faith into Jesus often meant persecution. You'd almost instantly feel alienation from your family, your coworkers, you could lose your job, you could lose your income, and even at the, in some cases, even death. So Michael Green doesn't understand how the church kept growing in the early years. 
And so he looks at what was their trick? How, how did the church keep growing? Why did people keep coming to faith? And he spends 400 pages. Don't worry, I'll give you the conclusion to it. But he says this, quote, the early church shared their personal lives with others often over a meal. <laughs> That's it. That's what the early church did. See, they took the words of Jesus seriously. They took the model of Jesus seriously. And they, have, they didn't pay attention to the distinctions that were so ingrained in the culture. But they had spaghetti on Tuesday with their neighbor. You got to think, the early church, they didn't have this. They didn't have worship bands. They didn't have professional pastors. They didn't have leadership networks. They didn't even have buildings. They didn't even have the Bible like we have the Bible today, but yet it continued to grow and grow and grow. Why? Oh, because they had a meal with someone. They had a meal with someone. They invited people over. They, they invited those that often would persecute them. Those that would criticize them, they had them the next day for beautiful eggs benedict or the equivalent to it in the first century. See, food, food still has that place in our society today. For centuries, we as humans have connected over food. We celebrate some of the most significant milestones with food. You know, I, lo I love weddings. Like, I officiate weddings. I attend weddings. I just think they're beautiful. If you catch me at a wedding, I might get misty-eyed because it's usually outside in the wind, right? It's just like, they're just beautiful. But the reception's where it's at, right? Come on. Like, the re like you go to the reception, and they just got to do it better than the girl that got married the month before. So, like, they got the best spread of food. It's a beautiful environment. They got all the drinks. Hopefully, there's dancing later. Then you meet people that you haven't met before. You catch up with some old friends. You celebrate together, right? Even celebrating, like, a birthday party for, like, a two-year-old. You're going to have some cake and a cold hot dog, right? We, as humans, connect over food. If you're going to meet up with someone, you're going to at least have a cup of coffee, right? And if you're lucky, a pastry to go with it. It's how we connect. But it could just be me, and maybe I'm not getting the dinner invitations, but hospitality seems like a lost art. It seems like something that's not as practiced anymore. But I'm telling you, I know I'm talking about food and meals, and it seems so basic and so practical and simplistic, but I, I'm telling you, potentially one of the most revolutionary things you can do is invite someone over for a meal, someone that you differ with. Maybe someone even in this room that you just ah, can't stand that person. Something happens when you have someone come over and you don't just throw the Costco lasagna in the oven, but you make a meal. You make the best meal you can. You pull out your old grandma's recipe. They come over and they, they select a good wine. You hope they weren't going to, but they did. And then they stay longer than you hoped they would. There might be a couple awkward moments. But I'm telling you, Jesus embodied a hospitable presence, and he's the model and the way of Jesus is that when we become a hospitable presence, we embody the presence of Jesus. That's how he did it. 
My wife and I, we, we ran a small group in Victoria when we were there for young couples, and we had about eight different young couples, and one of the couples uh, just lived down the street from us. She went to church, and he didn't. So we invited both of them, and we told her, listen, you can come for as long as you want, whether your husband comes or not. And she did. She came for a season. But we were, like, trying to find different ways to get him out, and we'd do different things, and he was kind of suspicious of us, and he had some bad church experiences, and he was just, um, he wasn't sure. But one night we had a pizza night. Gave the invitation, and who's going to deny pizza, right? So he comes out for pizza night, he meets a bunch of us, and throughout the night he's like, man, this is great pizza. This is so good. I was like, dude, it's just not Domino's. It's, you know, when you make pizza at home, it tastes good. He goes on. We have more barbecues and we have more events, almost always over food, and he comes to all of them. He comes, to, he comes camping with a bunch of us from church, and he shows up to church just Easter and Christmas Eve. Not too crazy, right? You know, when COVID first happened and then we, we started to come out of our caves, remember that? And we started seeing people again. When the, you know the first people we saw? The first couple we had a picnic with outside, socially distanced, and kept all the rules was them. I'm not here to tell you that he's like, he's still questions. He's got a lot of things that he's trying to figure and work through. But I'm telling you, there's something that happens when you invite someone over for a meal. There's something happens when you, when you have a neighbor that just is really upset about your dog always doing its business in its backyard, and you invite them over for a meal. It's the, it, 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 it takes away it takes away the heat, doesn't it? It takes away the divisiveness. It, it allows people to see your life. And if you come with compassion and empathy and just you want to have a conversation, I'm telling you, there's something that happens at a table. It's what Jesus modeled for us. It's like Jeremy, who is, you know, his neighbor, is a, he goes to church, and he's a real religious nun. He always tells me he's praying for me, but, you know, we both like the same football team, and I don't know anyone that likes this football team, so he always comes over on Sunday, and we have wings, and we watch that. Or it's like Stacy. You know, Stacy, her colleague, said, hey, let's grab lunch on Thursday. And then that Thursday came the next Thursday, and now they've been doing it for months. And Stacy says, you know, she, I know she goes to church, and it's part of her life, and, you know, but I just, she listens to me. I've had friends for years that don't listen to me at the same level that Stacy does. Maybe there's someone in this church that you just like, ah, I don't know, or just someone else in faith, and someone that you just feel like, oh, we are on completely different sides of this. Man, what could happen over a meal? And I know I'm saying this in the midst of COVID and it creates all kinds of limitations and people have different comfort level and so you have to be creative. I get all of that. But I'm saying there's something that's amazing that happens over a meal. There's something that Jesus modeled for us that I think is helpful for us to understand. Hospitality was a presence in which Jesus gave others. Secondly, the heart of God. So the Pharisees are livid. Jesus isn't keeping these distinctions. He's ignoring them. And he has, he's socializing with people as a rabbi he should never socialize with. And so the Pharisees said, why, Jesus? Why are you doing this? And then he responds in this profound, witty way that's now famous to him. He says, it is not 
the healthy. It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Do you see it? Do you see the picture in which Jesus is trying to paint? See, the sermon that day was nothing that he said. It's something that he did. The sermon that day was his presence at a table where people felt like they had no table to be at. See, Jesus made space for some people that, wanted, that no one wanted to make space for. Nobody was lining up to sit down with Levi. See, the early church in the first century, everybody disagreed about everything. But one thing that everybody agreed on is that tax collectors are the scum of the earth. And that's who Jesus sits down with. Jesus chose him to be his disciple. See, for Jesus, it didn't matter who was at the table. It mattered who wasn't at the table. Do you hear the heart of God? Do you, do you see the image which Jesus is trying to communicate here? Jesus is communicating, look, the Father's heart, what the Father's concerned about, the Father's concerned about those that feel like outcasts, those that aren't on the, on the inn, those that feel like they have no place here, those that feel like, man, God wants nothing to do with them, that their own decisions have made them where they're at. Jesus sits down at that table and gives a hospitable presence to communicate the heart of God. Do you ever wonder why Jesus chose Levi? I do. He's starting out his ministry and he chooses Levi. Listen, Amy and I, we just moved here like two months ago and we moved to a place we know nobody. And so we're like starting our ministry. And as we start our ministry, man, we just like, we're like looking around at all these qualified people. Like, man, I've been hanging out with Pastor Matt all day. That guy is the nicest guy. He had us over at his house after church, which is like, I always know a crazy time. And, and I'm like, Man, it would be great to have someone like Matt on our team, right? Like, that's this the season I'm in. But Jesus, he doesn't go to the religious elite. He doesn't go to the people that everyone think he would go to to make his dream team. No, he goes to the people that no one was asking to be part of what he was a part of. And he invites them. He gives an invitation. He says, listen, the heart of God is just as much as for you as for this person who's been going to church their whole entire life. And they can read the Bible backwards. It's just as much for you. And the heart of God is actually searching, reaching out for you. Jesus' presence communicates the heart of God. See, the scribes were there to enlighten. Jesus had business of redemption. That's why I love this church. That's why I love what's happening here and in Squamish and Surrey. Because, listen, it's just not expansion because that's really cool. No, it's creating more tables for more people to have seats to experience exposure to the presence of who Jesus is. We're just making room at the table. We're making room at the table. I'm going to invite the team to come back and I'm going to close with this. Amy and I, um, we're probably on the scariest adventure of our life right now. We have three kids, but that's not actually the adventure, but some days that does feel like the scariest adventure of our life. But Amy and I, we, um, we, we've lived in Victoria the last seven years. She's from there. We just, we just, you know, if you've been to Victoria, you know it's God's special place on earth. It's just a beautiful spot of the world. We've been there for seven years, and we just, we, we loved every part of it. We had our three kids there. We built some lifelong friendships there. Amy's family's there. We, had a, we were at a church we loved. Everything just felt great. And COVID happened, and we had some more time to think and 
just really ask God what he had for us. And we just felt this transition. We couldn't describe it, but we felt this transition coming. And so we were being faithful to that, and we, we, we listened to what God was working in our life. And so we, we stepped out in this opportunity that came from Burnaby. We, I don't even know if we knew anything about Burnaby before. We only drove through it. Ikea's not even in Burnaby. We didn't know anything about Burnaby. But this opportunity arose for us, and so we made the hardest decision of our life. It was to leave Victoria and come to a place that we knew zero people to plant a church and sadly in a church that had to shut down in COVID. Start something new. And now we're turning out to be one of the hardest challenges of our life. So we show up to this church and, you know, it's like an old church that just been, looks, it's, you know, it's an old church. It's got some things and there's a few people that are connected with it and you know, we're getting started and we're trying to make some connections and we're trying to build some relationships with people. And we had a prayer night the other night. And listen, I, I know prayer nights are always hard to get people out, but we had, we had four people at our prayer night. One of them didn't speak English, so we'll count her. My kids, we'll up the number there. But I'm not phased. I'm not rattled by that. I tell you this whole story because we, we just, we're just motivated. What the, we're, just, we're motivated by what the heart of God is for. And the heart of God doesn't look at how nice that building is or how great that band plays. It doesn't look at who's there. It looks at who's out there. And we're right five blocks from Metro Town. Where the local church should be a place of life and transformation and nothing is happening in there and hundreds of thousands of people are walking by this place. The street it's on is one of the busiest streets going into Vancouver and we look at what the heart of God is for and the heart of God says there's a place for a table for them. So we're here and we're excited about what God's doing and we're making a place, we're making a table and we're being a hospitable presence because we believe that's what the model and the way of Jesus is for us. So listen, you, you might be here tonight, just might have wandered in, maybe you came with a friend, maybe you think you're here by happenstance, but I don't believe in happenstance, I believe in providence. It's not no coincidence you're here, you're listening to me, but the same invitation that Jesus gave to Levi is the invitation that Jesus gives to you today. Follow me. And in that, Levi experienced a life beyond anything he could imagine. See, church, we're at this cultural moment right now in Canada. We're at a tipping point. And many people will tell you different solutions to move forward and how we're going to conquer this with this brand strategy and these right people and these resources. But the way of Jesus is so much more simple than that. It's so much more practical. The way of Jesus says it happens with one meal at a time. So maybe there's someone in your world that sitting down with could be one of the most revolutionary things you could do this week this month, this year. There's an invitation that's given when you become a hospital presence like Jesus. Let me pray for you. Father, we're so grateful for this church. God, I'm just so grateful for this church. I'm so grateful for the impact it's making here in the North Shore and Surrey and Squamish. God, I just pray that this, the heartbeat of this church would continually be making space for those who are not here. God, may just never get too concerned of who's in the room, but always remember who's not here. 
So may this church be a place that just continues to um, thrive in hospitality and to serve those that are coming from all different walks of life. God, may you bless this church. So God, I just pray for every one of us. Father, may we just put aside our differences and God, may we just create space for people. May we have empathy and compassion. God, may we learn, may we hear, may we have people over and never be too busy to spend time to hear from people from different perspectives. God, may you bless this church. You bless us as we sing. Beautiful name. hope you enjoyed this message we would love you to subscribe to our weekly podcast other ways you can connect with avant life is through youtube instagram and facebook or check out our website at avantlifechurch.com